0: Fuel for Warriors, episode 28.
1: Somebody who gets shit done.
0: It's all down to hustle. A Sacrifice of their being and way of
1: life. We think of 300, you think of the Spartans.
0: Sort of the courage and conviction to face
1: their challenges in life. It always does the right thing at all costs.
0: This week's guest is Army veteran Nate Boyer.
1: You're fighting for
0: something very important, instead of giving yourself. What's going on, Warriors? I am Timothy Lawson, host of Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lawson Entertainment and Lock and Load Java. Each and every week, I bring on a athlete, a military veteran, or anybody else that resonates with the idea of being a warrior. We talk about the warrior ethos, what it means to be a warrior. We talk about inspirations and challenges. We find out what gets people up in the morning to go about their day, face their challenges, and become a better person. And then, of course, plenty of content in between those topics as well. This week's guest is Nate Boyer. He's an Army veteran. He was a long snapper at the University of Texas, went on to gets uh, picked up by the Seattle Seahawks. They tried him out. Unfortunately, things did not work out, but he continues to improve himself each and every day, hoping for another opportunity with another NFL team. Nate's going to talk to us about what it means to be a warrior, what it means to be a long snapper, because I know very little about long snapping other than that you snap the ball further than a normal center does. Uh, So he's going to talk to us about uh, training and you know just ha- how he tries to be better than the others and uh, and then we, we talk about something that's very important to him and that's the Waterboy organization which is something that uh, that he is a part of. I'll let him talk more about that but it's a very very admirable charitable effort and I know that you're going to want to check it out when he tells you more about it. Carl Churchill the founder of Lock and Low Java would like to say a few words. He has an, an offer to give you on their awesome coffee at lockandloadjava.com. After that, Nate Boyer, enjoy.
1: Hey Warriors, this is Carl
0: Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Low Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk-takers who've embraced the Warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today. And when you're finished with the episode, head over to lockandloadjava.com and use the coupon code FuelForWarriors to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, warriors! Welcome to another episode of Fuel for Warriors. This week, Army veteran Nate Boyer, sir. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Nate, we start every episode with the idea of being a warrior and what that means to our guests, because it's, it's unique to everybody. So when you hear the term warrior, what comes to mind for you?
1: Uh, I think of fighting for something bigger than yourself. And
0: how do you think, uh, you know, many of our guests are, are veterans, many of them are athletes. You fit both of those. Uh, how has your military service influenced your thoughts on being a warrior? And then maybe how has being an athlete influenced it as well?
1: They're very different things. Obviously a true warrior, in my opinion, in that sense of that word, um, it doesn't, it wouldn't have to be military based, but I mean, that's, you're fighting for something very important and very, uh, I know just in the grand scheme of things, uh, like I said, bigger than yourself, you know, obviously sports, you're playing a game, you know, and, and, and to, to win an outcome. Uh, and so it's a little bit different. Uh, obviously, I think the best teams out there are composed of players that, or, or if you want to call them warriors, that play for each other and fight for each other, uh, you know, for the man next to them and, and for the entire team. You know, on a battlefield, it's, it's so different. I don't know. I, I don't like when people compare, compare combat or war to sports. You know, and football has that com- comparison quite often. Yeah, uh, especially with like
0: of, the like being in the trenches and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the
1: verbiage. And I know they don't mean that literally, but to a young person, that can be confusing. You know, and um, but at the same time, the brotherhoods and the relationships and the uh, camaraderie. <coughs> excuse me that you experience on a football field is also something that uh, is similar to the military, I would say, not necessarily combat. Um, and so in that aspect, yeah, that, it does make sense. But um, when I think of the term warrior, I immediately think of a, uh, you know, of a, of a soldier, not necessarily a military soldier, but somebody, like I said, that's fighting for something.
0: Absolutely. You, you know, see, you, Uh, For the for the audience members that maybe are a little less familiar with your with your career, uh, give us a a timeline of service, college, and then your experience in in the NFL. Uh, Well,
1: you know, I joined the army back in 2004, and I was in the special forces, Uh, and then I went to college in 2010. And you know, while I played, though, I continued to serve. I deployed every summer. Um, between playing football and going to school at the University of Texas, so I just finished my service on February 23rd of this year, and uh, and then was you know went to pro day and did all the stuff leading up to the, my NFL experience, and was fortunate enough to be signed by uh, the Seahawks. And I was unfortunately cut about a month ago, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a great ride that experience and I'm continuing to. Just still long snap and stay in shape in case uh in case I still get another call, you know, despite the fact that I turned thirty five in January. <laughs> I uh
0: what I mean what what is the do you know what the median age of long snappers in the NFL are? Like are you far off from that?
1: Uh yeah, it's probably late twenties, I would guess. I don't know. I mean when I was in Seattle I was the oldest guy on the team as a rookie. So uh, yeah, Seattle on the on the on the back end.
0: Yeah, Seattle is. I am from the Northwest, and the Seattle Seahawks are near and dear to my heart. And uh, I was excited uh, when I saw that you had been uh, th- that they had taken you on, and then of course uh, disappointed as well that that uh, that you got cut. How does one? Um, how did you get into long snapping? I think that is a uh, unique skill for a center or for alignment to have. Uh, does it start with just the team saying, hey, we need a long snap or someone want to give this a shot? Or, like, how did you realize that that was something that you were, were good enough doing to pursue that as what you did?
1: Well, you know, I wanted to get on the field. I'd I made the team. Uh, but, I mean, I never played football in my life before I went to Texas, so it was new to me. And it's hard to play on that team, even if you're a a stellar high school athlete. Um, but yeah, so I had to find my place. I walked on as a safety and it wasn't, I could tell I wasn't getting on the field anytime soon. And I wanted to start and I wanted to make a contribution. And and so I started long snapping because I noticed this senior was graduating and, you know, I was gonna have to put some weight on, but, uh, I think I could do it, you know, and then we still get the opportunity to block and then go downfield and try to make a tackle. and. um, yeah, I was just finding a way to contribute, and so I started uh, started doing it, and I just learned from YouTube videos and practice and kind of watching other people. I didn't have a coach or anything like that, um, so it took me. I like that. I
0: like knowing that the long snapper for the University of Texas learned his skill set by watching YouTube videos. That is awesome.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, it, I, a couple for the first two months, I was just absolutely terrible at it, you know, and I just kept messing with it and working on it and. You know, I snapped a hundred balls a day for a while there, so I started to get, get a hang for it. And you know, once you once you get it, I mean, I, I pitched growing up playing baseball, and so I knew how to throw. If you, if you can throw overhand, you can snap. Um, you just got to tweak a few things, obviously, but um, yeah, I just it, you know, it worked out. But I definitely I worked harder than anybody else. I'll tell you that. that that's why yeah. it happened.
0: Yeah, I bet, and I think that's something that's that's definitely um, I think it's a common trait that we we see in in service members. Uh, I know I know you probably didn't anticipate talking so much about long snapping, but I'm pretty. It's something that I know so little about, but I'm, I'm a little curious. When when you were learning how to do it, maybe what what was a what was a couple things? Maybe what was the, the most challenging part uh, that maybe you weren't expecting going into learning that particular skill?
1: Um. I mean, just, you know, how much velocity you got to put on the ball. Not enough to just have, uh, it in a good location all the time. You got to get it back there quick because, you know, the, the guys are trying to block it. And so it's basically got to get to the, got to get 15 yards in about 0.7 seconds. So you got to, you got to hum it. And it's got to be a tight spiral and very catchable. And so, just, you know, just being, you got to be as perfect as possible with that. And, and so. That was something that I just didn't realize. I didn't even know what a long snapper was when I started playing. I never heard right. of it, so I just uh, was just surprised. It was such it's such a unique skill, but it's also very uh, very specific and very and it's hard to be that consistent. It really is.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you know, tell us um, I mean, and this is me fanboying a little bit. Uh, you know, tell tell me about the atmosphere up there in Seattle uh, over the off season while you were with them. Uh, did it did it seem like they had the the hangover that everybody expected, or or did it seem while you were there? Could you could you tell that that was even in the in the air? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, they were disappointed. I, I could tell that. Uh, I relate it to, you know, when I first walked down in Texas, it was right after they'd lost the National championship to Alabama. So oh, it was yeah. a very similar kind of feeling, you know. And, uh you know, I just, uh obviously they had that game, you know. They probably out, maybe even outplayed them. I don't know. It's hard to say. But, you know, it's, it's the way it went down, and that, was, that makes it so frustrating, I think. And so, But those guys are resilient and they're hard workers and they all have a chip on their shoulder anyway. You know, they had that from the beginning. And most of those guys um, are not, were not really high, you know, very high picks even in the draft, you know, very few of them. Um, Yeah. They're they're just guys that have have really worked hard and and are scholars of the game. And uh, they they just, that's part of their anatomy anyway, you know, kind of the underdog or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. it, It was, yeah. They were, they weren't, it wasn't a negative vibe in any way, for
0: sure. Sure. Do you think that's still, you know, moving forward um, now with the NFL, noticing how many great talents are coming late in the draft? is it do you still do you think moving forward players are still going to have that chip on their shoulder of being drafted late or have we have do you think the NFL and the front offices and then the players have just sort of accepted that no one really knows how to, how to predict this stuff and you know you know whether wherever you get drafted is just where you're supposed to shine or do you think that since there is a a number and a stigma attached to where you were taking into the NFL that later drafted players are always going to play with that, that chip.
1: Yeah, I mean, not necessarily always, even later draft. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was uh, still a first-round pick, but he had a chip on his shoulder because, you know, of what that situation happened with, you know, with Alex Smith and who, who was going to go first. And obviously Tom Brady being a six-round pick and, and, yeah, you know, and even Tony Romo, a lot of these guys have that chip, you know. But it just, it doesn't really matter where you're drafted necessarily, what gave you that chip on your shoulder, you know. Uh, but I know that Seattle, for instance, that's the only one I can really speak of, you know, they sure. really, um, they really feed off that and they like get, defining those guys. You know what I mean? They want right. that. The guy, guys with an edge, you know, and it may not be, you may not have run the fastest 40 and all that stuff, but somebody that's got something to prove. And, uh, you know, really fights for everything they get. Uh, and, and I think it's a recipe for success, obviously. I and mean, you know, there's a lot, every, every year there's multiple players that come out of nowhere in the, in the NFL, um, that are just become these huge stars, uh, because it's the right fit for them and just timing, you know, everyone peaks at different times. So, yeah, um, you, you when never you never know, you never know. It's just, it's such a, recruiting must be such a hard game
0: yeah as a you know as a Seahawks fan going into going into every draft I don't care like how many dra- like like all oh, the Seahawks give a first round draft pick for for this deal or whatever I'm like good we need well, later draft picks are always better anyway so um yeah. when uh you know when when it came cutting time at the Seahawks you know compared to the other to the competition on a team uh, were you surprised by their decision or or do you do you feel like it was it was too close to call?
1: well, I mean you know that you, you got to look at it this way, like I know I could do the job and I'm good enough to do the job, but the guy that they had there ha, you know he's been there five years and he hasn't made a big mistake, and he is very good, and he's a big guy he's like 6'3 to two sixty or something you know and yeah. uh why would you make that change unless I was clearly better than him, and, you know? Sure. And, and obviously I wasn't. And so it just doesn't make sense, especially making a change to a guy that's, you know, 34 years old and undersized and uh, just been playing, just been long batting for three years. It doesn't really make sense. So I wasn't really surprised. You know, I was just hopeful. Uh, and, yeah. and it was good to get something on tape and, and you know. It's just a tough game. Last year, zero rookies made it as long as in the NFL. This year, the only guy that did was drafted in the fifth round by uh, the Patriots. Every other free agent got cut, too. So it's just just to get that opportunity is a huge feat, you know?
0: Yeah. And you say that you're, you're still staying on top of it and you're still looking forward. Are you, are you optimistic about your chances with another team?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm realistic, you know. I, I mean, I think I do have <laughs> a chance but I'm still, you know, I'm still working towards it, but I got a lot of other stuff going on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually taking a wounded vet up in uh, February, we're, we're already working on this thing, he, he's a single leg amputee, and we're going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro uh, to raise money for clean water wells in Tanzania, and, and I just got a number of things like that going on, that's the, kind of the big one right now, but. I'm not sitting around waiting by the phone. You know, I, I got a lot of stuff that I want to do, and I have a platform now, and so I'm going to use it.
0: Yeah, that platform is that is that on your own effort, or are you collaborating with another organization on that?
1: On um, that for that trip there, that's with Waterboys.org, started by Chris Long in place of the Rams, uh, Harry Long's son, actually. And so this is a side project within that organization um, called Conquering Kelly. And, uh, we're just rolling it out right now. We're getting the, uh, we should be up, you know, our, our link and website should be up next week. Um, so people could start donating, but I've already, everyone I've talked to just seems super excited about this thing. So our goal is to raise $100,000, which would be enough for true clean water wells and enough to, uh, pay for, for Blake Watson's trip. He's the single gigantic team help I'm taking up there. So, you know, it's a way for vets to, uh, it's a way for a vet who he's been through so much to continue to serve, and then also for other people to get involved. I think this is a cool way to support to support veterans and, and, and what we want to do because you know we need that purpose. We need something uh, that's a challenge. You know, that's why a lot of guys I think come back have trouble. You know, struggle struggle with uh, transitioning back into society. A lot of it's the things they've seen and and uh, and whatnot, and that's totally understandable. But a lot of these guys too. It's because they come back and just, they don't know what to do next, you know, and they, they have trouble finding something as important as what they did before. And, and this is, a, this is just an example of a way that, you know, you take something that seems impossible, uh, and you make it happen. At the same time, you're still helping people in the third world that can't help themselves.
0: Absolutely, I, th- I think that with the work that I've done in veteran suicide and all the discussions that I've had uh, on veterans' issues, purpose is just the number one killer. That if a yep. veteran can't get out and, and rediscover that purpose, whether in a, in a professional setting or in a personal setting, it just becomes the it becomes the silent killer. It's horrible.
1: Right? Yeah, 22 veterans a day. You know, and, that, and that's another organization I work with right there. It's called 22 Kill. Uh, yeah. And that's their whole thing, you know, it's promoting veteran entrepreneurship and purpose and whatever it is you're passionate about, going after that and finding a way to make that your life now, you know, and uh, it's possible, man. There's, there's, we're capable of so much and we've survived so much, you know, we're crazy if we're not going to use that for our advantage in the next step in our lives, you know, instead of coming back thinking, well, all I know how to do is these soldier you know or be a warrior in that sense of the word instead of you know just like this podcast is all about continuing to to be a warrior for something else and champion for something else
0: yeah absolutely nate let's let's uh let's wrap up with the the last two questions uh the first being uh addressing your challenges in life either personally or professionally you know what's what's maybe a challenge that you're facing right now and, and what are you doing to better overcome it
1: um Challenge that I'm facing. I'm facing a lot of challenges right now. Every day, I try to make a tra- put a challenge in front of me. You know, uh, but yeah, I mean, just what I'm doing with uh, with Waterboys, trying to make that that trip happen. It's not really a trip. I call it a trip, but that that uh, that journey. You know, that challenge of, um, of 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 giving this guy that I'm going with. You know, the confidence and the training to go. I mean, that uh, climb a nineteen thousand plus peak you know, uh, with one leg. Um, and, and then just trying to remind myself that, you know, no matter what, like, we're this is going to happen. We're going to make this happen. Um, and to always make it a goal that seems too difficult almost when you first look at it, you know. I, at first, I was talking with people about it and they are like, well, you know, you raise enough for a, for, a, for a clean water well, just enough for one well, which is like 45,000. I was like, I just think that's I know that I'll make that happen. So I want to, I want to make it something that I don't know that I can make happen. So it's just a more of a challenge and something more to to pursue. So I was like, it's going to be two clean water wells, you know. So we can dedicate one each. Um, I mean, so and, and that's that's just something right now, you know. Also, I want to work in the film industry here, you know. So uh, I I want to be a, a veteran uh, that has a voice in this in this business here. Um, so we can, we can do a lot with, with, with guys that need help, you know, with making the VA better and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. I'm, I've got a million challenges. I can't really put my finger on one, but every day I have to push myself and challenge myself. And, you know, if it means calling some guy that I feel like might not want to hear what I have to say or whatever, then I, I make myself do it anyway. You know, I put myself in the most positions so that I can be most effective and most helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that you definitely touched on this in that response, which, uh, which naturally comes out for a lot of my guests. But maybe you can add on to the question, what is ultimately inspiring you? What's getting you up every day and what's helping you get through all of these tough challenges?
1: Oh, just knowing that, you know, it's amazing to not only be alive and be a human being as complicated as that all is, I'll never understand how my, how our brains work. But the fact that, you know, everything has to be so precise for us to, to be physically and mentally capable of so much, um, that, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not going after all these things, then I'm just wasting space, you know, uh, and, to go along with that, you know, we're we're in America. We're in a country where we have endless opportunity and choices and all that stuff. And so, you know, what inspires me is seeing people that don't have everything that I have still accomplish these things and go after these things. Um, you know, that's what that's what inspires me. I, I just look at, you know, like my time back in 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 the Darfur before I joined the army. I, I went over there and did some relief work, and just remembering those people how generous they were and hopeful of a better life, you know, and, and every day they, they're barely getting by, with, you know, for the food and water. They don't have the medical care they need and all that stuff. And they still have that passion for uh, improving themselves and their environment and their world. Um, you know, that kind of stuff inspires me. But, you know, I, I just think we're nuts if we're not using everything that we have, all these resources to go after what we want and, you know, not only make our lives better, but, the world around
0: us absolutely nate thank you so much for for joining me this has been a true pleasure we're all following you on twitter at nate boyer 37 and i hope that when the link to your efforts are available that you'll send it to me so i can both share it with my audience and also give my own contribution
1: absolutely yep i will we'll talk soon
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be sure to head over to LockandLowJava.com using promo code fuel for a discount on your purchase. Also head over to LawsonEntertainment.com for more of my programming. Stay strong and stay motivated.